0: In our series on spiritual armor provided for children of God in Ephesians chapter 6, we've looked at the first five items. We've seen the girdle of truth. We've looked at the breastplate of righteousness. We've examined the boots of the gospel. We've talked about the shield of faith, and we've examined the helmet of salvation. Today, we want to look at the sword of the Spirit. We're not left wondering what the sword of the Spirit is. We're told that it is the Word of God. This sword is both an offensive and a defensive weapon. It can be wielded to parry the thrusts of the enemy. It can be wielded offensively to chase the enemy away. Jesus wielded this sword when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He was the living word, and yet he went to the written word for his defense. A warrior in battle is pretty useless without a weapon. So today we want to focus upon this holy weapon that we have and remind ourselves not to drop our sword in the battle but first we have a song selection that i hope you enjoy after the song please stay tuned for another message of god's sovereign grace from the zion primitive baptist church pulpit In chapter 6 and verse 10, we read the following. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, which is the word of God. As you know, we've been talking about the spiritual armor that God has provided for us. This morning, we come to the the sixth item of armor, which is the sword of the spirit. The admonition that I would give you this morning is don't drop your sword. (laughs) Don't drop your sword. You see, in a battle that's fraught with peril, It's imperative that we be properly armed. And a man without a weapon is vulnerable. All he can do, even if he's clad in the rest of his armor, all he can do is act in a defensive posture. But if you got your sword, you got more options. You don't have to turn there, but back over in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David begins to list, or God through the writer there, begins to list some of the mighty men of David. And there was a man named Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahoite. And he was called one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines in a certain place where they were going to battle. And this is what it says about him in verse 10. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword. And the Lord wrought a very great victory that day, and the people returned after him to spoil Notice what it says there. This man, Eleazar, was weary. He got tired. He got faint. That word weary means literally to gasp. And it means to cause to faint, even, and to be, ultimately, it means to be completely exhausted. This great man of David, this great warrior of David, in this physical, earthly battle, got exhausted. His hand was weary. But notice what happened his hand clave to the sword. He didn't drop his weapon. He didn't drop his sword. His hand claved to it. And that word cleave means to adhere to or to stick to like glue. He was holding to it so tightly that you couldn't tell where his hand ended and the sword began. He did not drop his sword. Beloved, no matter how exhausted we get in the battle, our hand must cleave to our spiritual sword. Remember, we're not walking after the flesh. We're not warring after the flesh. We're warring after the spirit. And 2 Corinthians 10, 3 tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. And the point is this. We are in a raging spiritual warfare. It is going on all around us, and we have to stand. Stand having own the armor of god we need the proper armaments to do this the sword here is the 6th weapon the 6th item of armor rather that's listed now think about it great warriors are known by their weapons right can you imagine king arthur without excalibur can you imagine robin hood without his bow and arrows to make it a little more modern can you imagine luke skywalker without his lightsaber even worse than that is a child of God without his Bible, without his sword. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I want to say to you this morning, the supreme weapon of all of history is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So I want to talk to you about it, Lord willing, this morning a little bit. Let's let's look first at the purpose of the sword, the purpose of the sword. Now, we often say this, and to an extent it's true, that the sword of the spirit, the Bible, is the only offensive weapon, okay? But in truth, it's both offensive and defensive. A sword is used not just to thrust, but also to parry the thrust of the enemy. So you have your shield on one arm, but the idea is that you've got the sword on the other. So sometimes you can use your shield to quench those fiery darts of the wicked. Sometimes you use your sword to parry the thrust, the spear thrust or the sword thrust of the enemy, so it's, it's, it was a short sword, by the way. This, remember, Paul here is giving us an idea of the spiritual armor by comparing it to the armor of the Roman legionnaire. Now, the Roman legionnaire had a big broad sword, but that's not what he's talking about here. The reference here is to the short sword of the Roman legionnaire. It was approximately 18 to 24 inches long, and it was easy to wield in hand-to-hand combat, and it was held constantly by the side of the soldier ready to be used it wasn't something that he sheathed in battle he held on to it it was there ready always to be put to the test to be put to use from the standpoint of its defensive uses as i've said already it would it could be used to parry the sword thrusts of the enemy psalm 119 you might want to turn there psalm 119 is the great chapter that's primarily about this sword of the spirit the word of god So think about this. What can this sword be used to do? Well, it can be used to parry the attack of temptation. Temptation. Look at Psalm 119 and verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When temptation comes, the best way to fight it is to flee to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. In other words, this is someone who is studied the word who has meditated upon the word and can recall it to their mind i realize sometimes some verses i can't quote them just right i can't remember them all but if we read it we can sometimes call those to mind and in this case he says hiding the word in my heart helps me not to sin you know i I gotta say to you i don't i don't think i've ever committed any major sin at least while i was in the middle of reading the word of god (laughs) You think about it, I don't know of any people that's robbed any banks while they come in quoting the scripture. (laughs) How many murders have occurred? I guess somebody's a psychopath, crazy maybe, but how many murders have ever occurred when they're in the midst of studying the word of God? Over in verses 101 and 102, look at this, and still in Psalm 119, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Notice why he hasn't departed from his judgments. And by the way, the word judgments, the word statutes, the word uh, uh, law is used interchangeably here for the word of God. He says, I have not departed from thy judgments. Why? For thou hast taught me. I know what your word says, so I haven't departed from it. It parries the attack of temptation. It also can parry the attack of the world's reproach. Look at verse 41 here in chapter 119 of Psalms. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. You know, you're going to get a lot of reproaches, child of God, if you say you believe the word of God. If you flee to the word of God and you claim the truth of the word of God, there are going to be those in the world that will reproach you. They'll bring things up, they'll come at you. But if you know the word, if you can use your sword... You can use your sword properly. You can parry that thrust, that attack of the world's reproach. Let thy mercies come unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. What about the attack of affliction? We've all experienced that, haven't we? Well, the word of God can parry the attack of affliction. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Now, that word quickened there is not talking about the new birth kind of quickening. This is someone who's already been quickened in that sense by the eternal living word. But he's saying here that in daily life, in our daily walk, when we're struggling out there with the afflictions and the attacks of the world, the word of God can bring new life to us. I've experienced that. I'll tell you this, I've mentioned this, and I'll come back to it, Lord willing, in this sermon, but... Last year was not the best year for me, spiritually speaking. The year before that was a pretty good year. You know what I did differently the year before than I did last year? I read through the Word of God. Every day I spent time in the Word of God year before last. Now, don't get me wrong. I've stayed in the Word. I'm your preacher. I got to. (laughs) I got to prepare to preach. But there's a difference in preparing to preach and studying for your own personal edification. There's a big difference in that. And so, last year, I didn't do as much personal study in my Word as I did the year before. You know what I've done this year? I've started out the year trying to read through the Bible again. Every day, staying in the Word of God. And already, I feel my spirit has been quickened. I feel more alive. I feel better than I have in the past. You see, even in the midst of affliction, the Word of God is a comfort it can parry the attack of depression now i'm not talking about clinical depression there's such a thing as clinical depression that that requires medication okay but even in that but especially in the kind of what i call situational depression the the things that get us down in life okay where is it that we can go for help look at verse 54 Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. I can tell you, child of God, there's no greater place to go for encouragement in this world than the Word of God. Look at verse 81 My soul fainteth for thy salvation. There are times in my life I feel so weary in the battle, I want to faint. I'm like Eleazar. I'm weary. My hand is weary. I'm exhausted spiritually. I'm tired of the the constant attacks and the the, the devil seeming to nip at my heels all the time and sometimes coming up with a full frontal assault. I get tired. But he says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. I hope in thy word. You know what Jesus said about the word? He said, "Ye shall know the truth. And he tells us that thy word is truth. He said, You shall know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? Truth's going to get you to heaven. Truth's going to born you again. Truth is going to save you eternally. No, that's not what he said. He took care of that. The eternal word took care of that. Jesus Christ Himself took care of that on the cross, along with the Father and the Holy Ghost. But he says this you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what the truth does? It frees you from all these bondages that we're under. You know, the devil wants to put you in bondage. He wants to put you in the bondage of having to work your way to heaven. But the truth will free you from that. He'll make, it'll make you understand that God has done all to get you there that's necessary. It is finished means it is finished. The song we sing is based upon that great declaration of victory on the cross. It is finished. I've done it. <laughs> There have been many times that our presidents or our generals have declared victory when victory was not really there. Sometimes they did it lying about it, just trying to promote propaganda. But our God is not a propaganda promoting God. He finished the work on the cross. The word of God will free you from that misapprehension of what he did. And it will free you from working your way to heaven. The word of God will free you from the bondage of the sin that doth so easily beset you. I don't know about you, but I have some besetting sins. I have some certain sin. You know, I'm subject to doing all kinds of sinful things. But there's a few sins that beset me. They just continually come back. And I think probably if you'd examine your life, you'd, you'd say the same thing. Maybe it's anger, okay? Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with lust. Maybe you struggle with envy. Maybe you struggle with some other kind of sin. Whatever it may be. The word of God will free you from that. It'll tell you there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. When you get to the woe is me, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm all alone in this world. You can go back to the word of God and they'll say, hey, there's no temptation you're facing. There's no trial you've been, that's been placed upon you that's not common to man. Well, it'll free you from the bondage of thinking God is putting all this on you too. You know what he says about that? He says, but God is faithful. You know, sometimes we misquote that. I don't want to get off into preaching on that. I'll preach the whole time on it, brother buddy. But we misquote that verse. It's God won't put on you more than you can bear. Okay. Well, that all sounds good, but that's not what that verse says. <laughs> that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's verse 12, says that there hath no temptation taken you. Where'd that come from God? That didn't come from God. That came from Adam. That came from the sin that occurred in the garden. You know, people want to say God put all that on Job. God didn't put anything on Job, but God had a hedge around Job. It was the devil that attacked Job. God certainly, he he lowered the hedge, and he does that from time to time. But don't ever mistake God lowering the hedge for God afflicting you. It is the devil that afflicts you. It is yourself, your flesh that afflicts you. It's the world that afflicts you. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see... There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You're not alone. Somebody's experienced this before. If nobody else has experienced it, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced it on the cross and in his time here. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The word of God will free you from thinking God is bearing you down. I know I'm not talking about his chastisement. Sometimes he chastens us, yes. But I'm talking about generally the afflictions of this life. So where is God in all this but God? (laughs) I love that. What is God in this situation? But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Don't think that you can obstinately continue down the path of disobedience And oh well, God won't put on me more than I can bear. God will suffer much more than you can bear to come upon you on that path. But see, what God did is number one, he didn't put most of that on you. Most of that, I always go back to that saying that I got off the internet that I printed out and had it hanging in my office when I was district attorney. you know, everybody says, everything happens for a reason. What I found, it said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and made a bad decision. See, that's been my experience. God is not putting that on you. He said it doesn't say He won't put on you more than you can bear. Certainly, in chastisement, sometimes uh, He puts things on us. But generally speaking, when we're obstinately going down the road of disobedience, you may come under the burdens that you can't bear. But guess what God has done? He has made a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What's the way of escape? It's not like the prodigal son just to sit down in the pig pen and bemoan his condition. The prodigal son did not stay there. He knew the way of escape. He remembered the way of escape. He got up and he went back to the father's house. That's the way of escape, child of God. It's always turning back to God. Abraham went back to Bethel, the house of God, many times in his life. All those old patriarchs were always going back to the place where they had an experience with God. Beloved, maybe... Maybe that's what we need to do, is go back to the place where God has promised to put His favor. In our day, it's the church of the living God, you see. You see, the Word of God will free you from that, it will make you free. The best example, the best example of the use of the Word is found in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 as well. That example was given to us by none other than the living Word Himself. After his baptism, after his declaration as the Son of God and the Son of Man, we're told that, uh, that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we're told in verse 2 that he fasted there 40 days and 40 nights and was after hungry. That tells us about his humanity. Can you imagine not eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights? We wouldn't make it. But he was the Son of God as well as the Son of Man. And then we're told that the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be bred. He appealed to his earthly lusts, his earthly desires. And then it says in verse 5, He took him up on the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if thou be the son of god cast thyself down for it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands shall they bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone he, he appealed to his pride he appealed to you know to his uh, uh, his this idea actually tried to make him into an absoluter, <laughs> tried to make him into somebody that believed in the absolute predestination of all things. Verse eight, he took him to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He appealed to his desire to achieve all the power without going through the the, the process of going to the cross. He was basically saying, You can avoid the cross; I'll give you all this. If you'll just fall down and worship me. So as the son of God. As the living word. I suppose Jesus made up some new scripture right there on the spot. I mean he'd have been entitled to. It would have been, it would have been his right. He, he could have said anything he wanted to. But I want you to notice what he did. Jesus didn't make up some new scriptures. Jesus himself took up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is written, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He parried that thrust of the devil. Verse 7, it is written again. He parries the thrust again with the sword of the Spirit. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. One more thrust and one more time that he blocks that blow. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This God, this man who was truly God and truly man, who was the living word, used the written word in his own defense. Isn't that amazing? As a defensive weapon. Now, what about the offensive uses of the word? What about its offensive uh, usefulness? Well, with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, we can go on the offensive. You remember what we said already. Now, we're not, we're not trying to take new ground. God has already won the ground upon which we stand. But sometimes, don't we lose ground in our daily walk? Don't, don't you find yourself, seem like one step forward, two steps back? Not eternally. I'm not talking about eternal salvation here. We can't lose that which is eternal. It wouldn't be eternal if we could lose it. But sometimes we have to go on the offensive in order to win back some ground. Sometimes we have to go on the offensive to repel the devil. James tells us in chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means to set yourself against him. If you'll wield that sword of the Spirit just like Jesus did there, guess what happened when Jesus was done? Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Will that sword of the Spirit resist the devil? He'll flee from you. Sometimes we have to go on the offensive to, re- to repel the attacks of the world. Back over in Psalm 119, look at, uh, look at verse 97. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies or my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. You see, here what he's saying to us, he's saying, if you will wield the sword of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, you'll have more understanding than those college professors that try to tell you that the world evolved from nothing. You'll have more understanding than those ancient writers. Listen, I love, I love reading the ancient philosophers. I love reading those old Greeks and Roman writers and all that. But they are wrong about things in there. Their words are not truth. I don't care how old the book is. That doesn't make it true. You'll know whether it's true or not by the way you uh, compare it to the Word of God. I understand more than the ancients and the enemies out there that will try to bring their philosophies of the world before you. You'll be able to repel those attacks of the world. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates.